From Hagerstown, Maryland, the Associated Builders and Contractors of Cumberland Valley bring you their weekly podcast. This week we are talking to safety professionals from our members within ABC about how they're dealing with some of the new regulations for the COVID-19 outbreak. So let's join in on the conversation. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, happy, uh, let's see, what is this? Uh, nine weeks maybe of, uh, of uh, uh, quarantine and stay at home orders and, and uh, COVID-19. So happy beginning of your ninth week, staying home and not going out into public and wearing masks um, and uh, staying six feet away from everybody. Um, I'm not sure that that sounded very exciting as I said it, but uh, anyhow, happy Monday. We'll try that one on for size. So as we're thinking about where we're at today, we're at nine weeks uh, for most of us. I think some areas, maybe 10 weeks and maybe a few areas uh, that that could be listening might be uh, seven or eight weeks, but we've had at least two months worth of time um, throughout this stay at home order. Um, And we're all very, 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 very excited to try to get out and go back to a little bit of normal uh, life. Um, I think last week somebody made a comment about taking the family out to eat at a restaurant. And I jokingly said, a what? A restaurant? What's one of those? Um, So, you know, today we're going to talk about a lot of different things. But I thought with the group uh, we would jump into and kind of think about um, some of the things maybe the, the you know, the good sides of uh, what is happening here. And one of those good things that I think is coming out of all of this um, for every industry out there is we're starting to learn what technologies um, uh, might be of more use for us, um, what things will aid us as we start to go into the next upswing, which will happen. I'll remind everybody of that. Um, Sometimes we get hung up and stuck on it's a terrible time and we're in a down time and we are and our economy has been here many times before, maybe not quite as bad, but there will be an upswing. And what do we learn out of this downtime um, about our businesses, about our jobs and about what we have to do. So my first question to the group is since we have a group of safety professionals uh, um, on the, uh, on the line, um, and uh, well, I said safety professionals, but um, Josh, I know you're here too, so thank you. That 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 was meant to get a chuckle out of everybody. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because uh, I got some jokes later that will tie right into that. So thank you. <laughs> and actually, speaking of which, uh, you know, before we do move on, I don't don't always do this, but uh, we have with us this morning. Um, of course, I'm Amos McCoy from the Associated Builders and Contractors in uh, in Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, and uh, we have Kathy Gress, which is also she's uh, the education director for uh, for ABC at Cumberland Valley. And uh, we'll go right down the line. Josh, do you want to introduce yourself quick and let people know who you are? Sure. Yeah, Josh Barnhart. Um, I work at uh, locally here at Keller Stonebreaker Insurance as a county executive proactive risk manager. Um, so happy to happy to be on here and help out as much as I can. And I uh, will jump down the line to Jason. Yes, good morning. Jason Pickett. I'm in charge of the safety department for RW Warner Incorporated in Frederick, Maryland. And what about Charlie? 
This is Charlie McIntyre with GRC General Contractors, Safety Director. Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's safe and well. Morning to you, too. And uh, what about Bill? You want to introduce yourself quick? Yeah, good morning. Bill Ramsey with Breck Bell and Helmet Construction Company, Safety and Risk Director. Well, good morning, everybody. And I will say as well, and I know he, he's taken a few days off, uh, uh, maybe uh, enjoying himself at a, with a staycation. But normally every week as well, Donnie Manning uh, from Digging and Rigging joins us, which is one of their safety directors as well. Um, so let's jump into it. Um, you know, through all of this, what technologies, you know, are you guys seeing maybe some new things you've discovered um, that make safety a little bit easier? Um, and I have one as well that we're going to be unveiling uh, here later today or maybe tomorrow. Um, actually, I, I'll set the bar a little bit lower. We're going to be unveiling it tomorrow through ABC. Um, but what have you guys uh, found in the worlds of technology to make your lives a little bit easier in the, uh, in the safety world? Yeah, I can, I can start us off. Um, so we've, we've uh, I guess a couple years ago, we kind of aimed to, to change the value proposition when it comes to insurance and invested in platforms that help our customers with risk management. Um, and so while the intent was not, you know, to go through a pandemic such as this, um, you know, they were never built for that. Uh, we've been able to see where having these resources in place has really been able to help with the social distancing, with keeping people separated, with ensuring that, you know, training is being done and, and, and recorded um, without the pass, you know, of paperwork, you know, in and out, um, without gathering guys all together, you know, real close, which, you know, we look forward to getting back to the point where we can do that. Um, but, you know, a couple of the, there's been kind of three pieces to this platform that we offer that has really been key. One, the job hazard analysis, you know, allowing our guys to do uh, their JHAs on a tablet, on a smartphone, um, and being able to retain those, you know, in one central platform. Um, so you, you do the JHA, you submit it, goes directly to the safety advisor or whoever's in charge of that um, so that everybody has access to that resource. Um, another part is our incident, you know, being able to track incidents. Um, so this is a resource that allows uh, you know, uh, companies to be able to track the OSHA 300, you know, so at the end of the year, it's just a click of a button. Um, and throughout the year, you're entering these incidents as they happen. Um, so yes, you can do your OSHA recordables, uh, reportables and, and have that, you know, tabulated at the end of the year. But the real key to this um, is being able to track your near misses um, so that we're not just reacting to things that have already happened. Um, but taking the near misses and being able to incorporate those into our training program um, as where do we need to educate these guys, um, you know, more proactively so that we're, we're avoiding the reportables. Um, and that's all done in a, a central, you know, database. Um, but the training piece, you know, is, is kind of the, is kind of the key um, in that one individual can send out um, you can keep a uniform training program, you know, among your whole company. So whether you're working in one state, six states, uh, you got one location or 10, um, you can have one central training theme and make sure you keep that uniform through the whole company by sending everything electronically. So through a tablet or a cell phone, it simply sends it to the email address of the individual. They read it, accept it, and it records it all electronically. So, you know, while this wasn't the intent, you know, to be able to, um, kind of use this for a pandemic, we've 
being able to see how our customers have utilized this, especially now, uh, because it limits those touch points. Um, it limits the, the paperwork handing in and out, the guys sharing pens, the, you know, having to gather in groups to do your safety talks. Like it's, everything is sent electronically. Um, and so it's also retained electronically. So, you know, it's all in one central location that you can reference back. So that's probably been one of the keys, um, one of the, the biggest pieces, what we've been able to see, you know, as far as going through this right now um, is, is how we've been able to limit those touch points and really help with the social distancing, you know, through this resource. Awesome. Uh, what about uh, uh, Jason? Uh, what are you guys finding with technology um, at Warner? Anything new, anything that you, you thought wasn't possible before that now is possible? Um, similar to what Josh says is uh, we're trying to really streamline the, the checking in and checking out process and making that electronic. Um, so as he mentioned, you're not using the same pins and things like that. Um, we've also on our service side, you know, we're dealing with residents. Uh, we've noticed, you know, people are very uncomfortable with signing our tablets. So that's changed is we now don't require customer signatures um, and we can email all the paperwork to them instead of giving them hard copies. Um, that, that's pretty much what I'm seeing, the, the biggest changes electronically with us. Now, and I guess to go back to both of you before we move on, um, and, and you know, I, the, the next obvious question is for people out there that are in the, in the same position thinking, how do I do this? Are you guys at liberty to say, hey, we are using X software? What, what, what type of programs are you using, um, you know, uh, in order to digitize things? Um, you know, is it streamlined that, you know, when they're on the job site that they're able to press a button and basically send all the documents directly to the, uh, to the, uh, uh, the owner or the, or the customer, rather? Um, is there any key pieces of software or apps that you're using that have, uh, that have helped out? I know we've got a lot of general contractors and Charlie and Bill may be able to speak a little bit better on this. Um, different contractors use different software. I know Procore is a big one. Um, and everybody that's involved with that project has you know, your passwords and, and usernames to get into that project. Um, some of the stuff we're just doing internally um, and on the service side, I'm, I'm not sure what they're using there. Okay. What about you guys, uh, GRC, Charlie? Well, basically, most of the guys have cell phones. Uh, they're out here on the jobs, smartphones or whatever you want to call them. You know, if they need, we need to send them a document. We send them an email and they do what they got to do. Or if they need to send information back to the shop, the same way, you know, they take a picture of it or email it back to whoever needs it here at the shop. As far as checking in uh, in the mornings, you know, some of the guys that drive straight to the job sites that don't come to the shop anymore, or don't need to come to the shop, they go straight to the job site. They send us an email, let us know that they're on site, everything's good to go, and we go, go on from there. Okay, what about Breck, Bill, and Hellman, Bill? Well, on the, on the project management end, we're, we're using Procore and we're slowly switching over to a company called Spectrum. 
Um, most, of, most of that information is all digital, blueprints, everything. Um, Communication-wise, we're using a lot of Zoom meetings for project meetings with the architects, engineers, um, a lot of phone meetings, you know, where it's a, a conference call type situation on the, on the regular projects with the subs. So we're getting away from the not having meetings in person because you can't get a limit to less than 10 people and be six feet apart. So since it rains every other day, you actually need someplace inside to do that. <laughs> and that's not always available. So that's the direction we're going. Um, we've been going digital for a while, so it's it's not something unusual we're doing. Amos, okay. I've, I've seen a, uh, there's a program called T-Sheets that I've heard of a, a couple different uh, companies using. It's offered through Intuit that uh, does your, your tracking as far as hours. Everything's tracked on an app. So guys check in, check out, clock in, clock out. It has a GPS tool to it that integrates directly with you know, not just QuickBooks, but multiple other platforms, um, which I've heard some guys mention as being a pretty seamless process to, to limit the, you know, the time clock, the physical touches. Got it. Cool. Um, and something that we're unveiling uh, tomorrow um, is that uh, we have partnered with a, uh, another company to offer a completely mobile and digital uh, questionnaire. Um, it, it is branded as EVC uh, Cumberland Valley. Um, so our members will have access to it through, uh, uh, through our website. Um, but basically they will be able to digitize that questionnaire portion um, of, uh, you know, ha have you been sick? Do you have a fever? All of those types of things um, to be able to stay compliant uh, and, uh, you know, to keep people coming to work and to limit those contact points. Um, I know some people already have digitized that, um, but we have some smaller contractors that, that maybe don't have the availability uh, and resources to do that. Um, so we found a partner and uh, we will be pushing that out, I, I, I would believe, tomorrow. Um, and uh, if not tomorrow, you know, within the next day or so. Um, I saw a look at the, uh, uh, at the webpage, I think it was uh, yesterday, uh, that they created for us. They were making a few changes and uh, we'll get that up and live as, as uh, quick as we can. Um, so it's one piece that we're going to, uh, we're going to add uh, to our uh, members arsenal that they have. Um, you know, the other big question is, are there any technologies missing? Um, you know, what, uh, what do you guys think? Is there anything that you're seeing that, boy, if there was a way to do this, um, you know, it would be great. Um, is there anything that you are seeing missing um, in this new pandemic or post-pandemic uh, world? Well, that will be a really easy one to uh, to conquer. Um, so it, it's it's interesting, but in today's day and world, with all of the uh, uh, with all of the um, technology that is out there, um, you know, there's not a whole lot missing. I mean, that's really what I'm, I'm hearing is that, you know, there's not a whole lot missing. Um, there's not a whole lot that we can't do not in person, which is pretty amazing when you really get down to it. Um, all right. So, yeah, you know, the next for everybody, it's just a, just a new way. It's a learning curve. Um, you know, some people uh, are a little bit more old school and other people um, like Josh, is a young guy and likes to do everything elect electronic. So, uh, you know, it's, it's an easy 
thing to pick up for some and other people it's, you know, it's a little bit tougher, but um, you know, it's just like you said, it's a new way. So after COVID-19 goes away someday, this thing has to go away, right? We can't live with it forever. I don't think. Um, so someday COVID-19 goes away and we've changed all this stuff and we've changed into this kind of new world that we are currently living in, which I will say as well, we've adapted very, very quickly. Um, so once that time comes and we get back to that, what are some of the things that you're going to keep? What are some of the things that you're going to get rid of? And, uh, I'm sure that we're all kind of, you know, thinking this right now, but what are some of the things maybe you might say, you know what, we need to keep doing things this way. And what are a few of the things that you're thinking, boy, I can't wait to get rid of this and be able to go back to the old way. I think for our guys, (laughs) most people can't wait to get rid of the masks. Um, just there again, it's different, it's new, um, and, and that causes some challenges with keeping safety glasses on and not fogging up. Uh, some of the things that we've implemented due to this that I think will stay around is the, the hand washing stations um, outside of the porta pots and at various places on the job site. I really think that'll stay around. Um, also, we are doing on our job sites at the end of the day, sanitizing all of the commonly used areas. So, porta pots, offices, um, commonly used tools, and um, scissor lifts, everything like that. They all get sprayed down at the end of the day. Um, I, I think that will will stay as well because. Even when this goes away, you know, it could be the common cold um, or, or the, the yearly flu. Uh, maybe we, you know, prevent one or two people from, from catching that every year. So it, that's worth the extra time. Um, also, any tools and equipment that come back to the shop, they're, they're kept outside in a gang box until uh, somebody gets to them and can sanitize them clean them, inspect them, and, and then we bring them back into our shop. We've kind of had this motto is, you know, we live in a clean house. We don't want to bring you know, something dirty into our clean house. So keep it out until it gets clean, and then we'll bring it in. And, and I think that will stay as well, um, it, it, you know, part of the new way, if you will. I, that's, that's a very good point, Jason. You know, uh, a lot of us, at least, I know you, you mentioned there that you guys are doing that. That's the same thing we're doing here. You know, at the end of the day, guys clean their trucks out, clean the tools down that they interchange amongst each other. So, you know, the next person picks it up, doesn't have to worry about being contacted. And as far as the mask goes, you know, yes, once these, that's the big thing, guys get, get rid of the mask. But then again, you know, beforehand, um, you go out here on a dusty job site or whatever, a lot of guys, well, oh, I don't want a mask. I'm all right, you know, whatever, whatever. So this may change that their their mind thinking. Okay, hey, I've wore a mask for eight, ten weeks due to COVID nineteen. Get me a mask. I'll wear it. You know, maybe some of the safety stuff will start to sink in and, and be a little bit more cautious on their jobs. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. While I'm the might be that young guy. Um, I think that uh, I still desire that in person to person interaction, you know, so, you know, for me, what I've seen is, you know, like Bill mentioned with the zoom meetings, 
um, with the, the video, you know, we've been able to see the, the efficiency that that creates um, and how many of us, you know, maybe weren't comfortable with that, um, you know, being able to get used to this, you know, along with, you know, so many other, you know, electronic tools that have been introduced, I think is going to create a lot of efficiencies within organizations that I don't think they're going to want to give up. When you look at the time savings of traveling site to site or, you know, here and there, um, being able to cut some of that and do it, you know, by video. I know I've relied on on Zoom meetings and different video conferencing a lot, you know, over the past, I can't believe it's been nine weeks um, when Amos said that earlier. Um, but I think that's something that, you know, will certainly stay in touch just for those, you know, quick, you know, sometimes it's easier to see people than to than to just talk on the phone. Um, so as we get so used to this video conference, just to hop on a quick video conference call um, to be able to have that person-to-person -person interaction, I think is something that might stick around. I think for us, uh, you know, the, probably the, the, the most interesting thing um, is that we've started to realize, you know, as, as ABC, uh, you, know, a, uh, you know, an organization, a membership organization, as well as a school, how many things that we can get done without um, needing to be sitting in an office. And, uh, and, and I'm going to be honest, um, some things are getting done more efficiently. Now, there are a few things that I think are not quite as efficient, um, you know, could be done better uh, with everybody sitting around. I just participated in strategic planning for ABC National. And uh, that typically is done over a two or three day period. Um, in person. And it took about, you know, I don't know, four or five, two hour meetings, uh, Zoom meetings. And uh, I will say it's a little bit, in some ways it was better because you were able to get the information, digest it, and then come back a day later and do another two hour meeting. In other ways, it would have probably been nice to all force yourselves into a room and to not come out until you had a, you know, until you had a, a, a conclusion. Um, but I think probably for us, the thing that we're going to keep um, is we're probably going to keep some of the virtual meetings and some of those types of things um, because we don't have to travel. We don't have to spend that time on the road, which is kind of wasted time um, as well. Anybody else? You know, I, I, I was curious. I'm always thinking about safety professionals and I'm jumping ahead one, but uh, so uh, what are some, uh, what are some funny safety professional jokes? I mean, you know, what, what, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys hear about safety professionals out there? Well, you know, what goes well with the coronavirus, right? Hmm. I don't know. What would that be? Lyme's disease. <laughs> uh, anybody else? You know, the difference between God and a safety manager, right? I do not. What would that be? God doesn't think he's a safety manager. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to take a little bit of time. That's why I stuck the jokes in there um, ahead of this and walk through. What does this procedure look like? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to specifically um, jump uh, to uh, Bill first on this. Um, what does the procedure look like if you have somebody that is sick and appears that they could have COVID-19 um, or showing those symptoms? We're not doctors, but what is that procedure that we take on the job site or in the office um, to go forward? Bill, do you want to fill us in from a general contractor's uh, uh, point of view 
what is that procedure? Yeah, I can answer that. Um, just, just for information-wise, has everybody been on ABC's national site and pulled off their PPR plan for COVID-19? Because we basically designed our program off of their template. Um, as far as exhibiting signs of COVID-19, um, remain home, symptom-free for 72 hours of three full days without the use of fever-reducing drugs. When it's practical, get a doctor's note so you can return. On the other end, if someone tests positive um, for COVID-19, uh, there's a couple processes we'll go through. Um, they need to stay in self-quarantine. Uh, they can come back to work at least seven days past the late, last date of the positive test with a doctor's excuse, a doctor's note. Um, then we do contact tracing. Again, you know, the contact tracing is going to be six feet or within for a prolonged period of time. Again, that prolonged period of time is, is uh, negotiable. <laughs> I talked to my son who's also in the safety business. His, their prolonged period of time is five minutes. I'm looking at 10 minutes on our end, to be honest with you. So uh, you, you talk about contact tracing. Um, and can you expand on that a little bit or what, do you, what, what processes do you go through internally to do that contact tracing? Well, person is positive, uh, the conversation is going to start with them and who they, who they were around uh, within six feet or any small period of times. And you're going to work your way out from there in the work and the work scene as far as who they're working with, who they haven't worked with, um, where they've been during these times, you know, whether they're in a trailer, whether they're in other vehicles besides their own, that type of thing. So it's pretty extensive, all the information you have to have to get. So a couple things too, who knows? So I'm kind of picturing, I mean, from a contact tracing standpoint, uh, simplistically, so I can visualize it. I mean, I'm picturing we write the person's name on a piece of paper and we start drawing lines out from there of everybody they contacted. Um, how far out do you go? Um, do you just go to that first point of contact or do you go one further? Do you say, okay, uh, Johnny has had contact with uh, Susie and Jason, and then Susie and Jason have had contact with these two individuals, or do you just keep it to that, that one uh, person? We're going to keep it within the work environment of the project environment, so to speak. Um, okay. That's about all we can do at that point. I'm not going to go beyond that. Okay. Uh, any, anything else? I, and I kind of jumped in there. I was curious about the, the contact tracing portion of it, um, but uh, anything else on on uh, going forward then on your procedure? Uh, no, not on the on employee end. No. So, um, what about uh, you know, kind of jumping forward? Uh, you know, Charlie, have you guys had any thought into this, and what does your procedure look like? Uh, if you well, think basically, basically what we've done. You know, if somebody has the symptoms, all right, uh, should they be sent home? They need to see a doctor, okay? If And 
let their doctor determine, okay, do they need to go get COVID testing? If they have to go get testing and anybody, you know, basically anybody working with that individual is more or less sent home until we get the test results back. You know, once we get the results back, the person goes back, if it's negative, you know, we follow the protocol where he's, he's off, you know, uh, for 72 hours, as long as he's not taking any type of medicine to reduce fever or anything like that. And uh, we, we go back, like Bill was saying, you know, we keep the contact uh, part of it just within the work environment and, and people here at the shop, they may have come in contact with, you know, let everybody aware, hey, we may have to do this. This is this is the protocol that we've decided we're going to follow, and that's the way we follow through with it. So, Josh, what are you guys hearing? Uh, uh, you know, out there in the uh, world, any any procedures or anybody uh, anything different that you guys are hearing that people are doing, and what's Keller Stonebreaker doing? Yeah, I mean, I've, what we've been doing, you know, we've seen a lot of clients amending their return to work programs. Um, so, you know, as we talk about contact tracing, social distancing, things like that, you know, the, the return to work program can be changed a little bit, um, I guess, to be more specific with the, the pandemic that we're going through. Um, but, you know, as is the case, you know, with, with all uh, employees that leave the workplace, communication, you know, I think is the key. Um, so the number one way, you know, to limit, you know, days missed from work um, when, you know, when it comes to work-related injury or illness is communication with that employee. You know, making sure that, you, that they realize that you still care, uh, that they are, you know, a vital part of the team, um, and that you want to get them back to work as quick as possible. Um, with the, the, the unemployment, you know, benefits changing um, and, you know, some of the uh, advantages that, that, that seems to have had for some folks, um, it's very important to stay in touch with them and to realize that, you know, they are a vital part, you know, of your team. So communication is key. Um, but having that process, you know, set up between your safety and HR uh, departments um, to execute, you know, that return to work program is important, you know, especially now more than ever, making sure that they're not sitting out there just kind of left to get on social media and, you know, explore conversations with others that might be laid off at this time, you know, it's very important for you to kind of keep them focused on what their job is inside of your organization and how valued, you know, they are. Um, so we created some of those, you know, return to work programs. We've seen folks more interested in, in making sure to implement those, you know, during this time. Um, thankfully, we haven't really had, I haven't had any clients with specific, you know, COVID related um, illnesses. So I don't, you know, I've heard of a couple job sites here and there that have had them. Um, so I wouldn't be able to speak, and I guess, thankfully, so, um, you know, wouldn't be able to speak to exactly, you know, how to integrate, you know, individuals that, that did acquire, you know, the coronavirus in some way, how to get them back into the workplace. But um, implementing an intentional return to work program, you know, is certainly the key. And then realizing, you know, that um, when you make an exception, that becomes the rule you know, is, is something to keep in mind. Um, so when you have a set process, sticking to that process um, and, you know, realizing that that applies across the entire workforce, um, making sure we're not making any, making any exceptions, but sticking to that return to work program that your company's put in place. So, uh, you know, I, I guess another question um, that, uh, you know, comes up is, uh, and I don't know if anybody, anybody has had this happen, but what happens when 
uh, you got some guys working and uh, they come to you and say, hey, John over there is sneezing and, uh, you know, it looks like he's sweating a little more than everybody else. Um, you know, we think he might be sick. And you go talk to John. Uh, well, one, should you go talk to John? Num and number two, if John says, oh, I'm not sick. I just, you know, I was out late last night drinking. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm making something up. Um, but he says he's not sick. What do we do? What are our responsibilities as an employer? Do we then tell that person, you know, if it does appear that they're maybe showing some symptoms, um, you know, what if they refuse to have their temperature taken? Um, you know, all of those things, what do we do with that person um, going forward? What are you guys' thoughts? I think this is, you know, you can almost, it's similar to, a, you know, a drug-free workplace program. You know, what is, what is your, what does your program look like if you have someone, you have reasonable suspicion, you know, to, to suspect that somebody's under the influence? Um, kind of, this is different, of course, but, you know, kind of plays into the same, the same thing. I've heard Jason mention in the past, you know, some very intentional programs that he's seen some job sites put into play. Um, you know, we've certainly seen it, you know, around at Walmart, different places, having arrows, you know, pointing us where to go. Um, and, you know, so I think that, you know, awareness of it is key. Um, you know, him mentioning a lot of job sites, you know, testing, like taking temperatures, um, you know, and then throughout the day, you know, if you have reasonable suspicion, I think that somebody may, you know, be exhibiting some of the symptoms to go ahead and do that again. Um, but documenting that, in having, you know, a, a written program in place or, you know, at least something that everyone's aware of. Um, but then when you have those individuals on the job site, you know, documenting, you know, the testing and the procedures that you've taken to identify whether they do or don't, um, you know, have, have, have the, the coronavirus or your antivirus for that matter, whatever you're trying to test against. This is Bill. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, unless you have a exposure plan, um, you really don't have a whole lot of recourse as far as, you know, making them leave a, a, the job site. You know, if it's written down and they all know about it, now you didn't have a reason to. Um, that's just, that's just my thought process. You know, with our, with our plan, we make sure everybody has a copy of it and they understand what's going on. So, you know, my, my other question that I, I've been thinking about as well, um, what if, uh, we notice again this uh, John. Poor John is uh, getting a, having a rough day today. Uh, what if we notice that uh, you know he he's sh he's showing uh, or he's showing symptoms of COVID nineteen? Uh, we talk to him and he says, "Yeah, I'm not feeling that well today." And we send him off to go get tested. He comes back with a negative test. Now he wants to come back to work. He's still ill, but he doesn't have COVID-19. Two days later, somebody complains they don't want to work with John or what have you. Um, how often should we be sending John to be tested for COVID-19? Um, you know, let's say he continues to be ill, but still under most circumstances that we would have considered pre-COVID-19, he's willing to come to work. He's just a little bit under the weather, doesn't seem to be contagious. Um, you know, or in our minds seem to be contagious, but now the other people working with him, you know, are, are maybe not wanting to work with him because of fears of COVID-19. 
how often do we have to send John back to get uh, uh, tested for COVID-19? Do we have to send him every other day? Um, do we just go with it? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this is Bill again. The thought on that, at least in Pennsylvania, and I know in Maryland to a certain extent, is I can't send that employee for a COVID-19 test. That, that test has to be approved by a physician. They're the ones giving the prescription to get the, uh, the test taken. So there's kind of a, a catch-22 there. We can't, as safety professionals, tell that person going to test without a doctor's recommendation. So True, uh, but I guess we can tell them to go home and not come back until we at least have a doctor's note saying they went to the doctor. Um, which seems to be most of the time, most people's line of defense, if they see somebody that is exhibiting symptoms of COVID-19, um, they tell them, you know, that, the, that they need to go see a doctor and not come back until they have seen a doctor. Um, and and I've, I have seen as well some plans that kind of say, go home, go see a doctor, don't come back until you've seen a doctor or until and insert whatever amount of time you like there, 72 hours, 14 days, um, you know, whatever the number of, of days are. Um, but if that person comes back and it's still ill and they've seen a doctor, do we let them come back to work? Do we move them to work isolated by themselves? You know, uh, what is our responsibility to the other employees around them? Right. <clears throat> I think if somebody has to, you, we send somebody to the doctor and they have to go get COVID-19 testing. Okay. I'm sure somewhere along the line, there's paperwork that they're going to get back from the test agency telling whether they're positive or negative. All right. So let's say it comes back negative, which is what we all want anyhow. So it comes back negative. That person spends her 72 hours at home, you know, no other medicine keeping fever down or anything like that. Yeah, if he comes back to work, he's feeling rough again or whatever. Other people might not want to, like you said, might not want to work with him. But then we got to watch too, you know, as long as he presents us us paperwork stating that he does not have the COVID-19, you know, and then we, we start isolating him from other people or whatever else, you know, what's that going to do to us as far as discrimination? You know, are we going to open up another can of worms is because just because this gentleman's not feeling well, that we're going to discriminate him and not put him out here where some job where he may be very comfortable with, knowledgeable of what he's trying to do. You know, so where's that going to let us there? Good question. Uh, anybody have any input on that or thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, I think what, what Charlie said kind of, kind of nails, I mean, what's your, what's your program say? You know, what's, what, how does your company policy handle it? If you don't have something, you know, maybe to, to have something in place. But, I mean, there's such a heightened sense of awareness right now. Um, I mean, you're at the grocery store and somebody coughs. It's like the, the parting of the Red Sea, you know. You guys have been working sick for years, you know. So, uh, people are going to continue coming to job sick. I mean, people need to work, you know. But if they go through the process of determining that it's not coronavirus, um, you know, I don't know that there's too much more that you can require somebody to do. Um, people are always going to be sneezing and coughing and have sore throats. Um, so if they go through the process of making sure that it's it's not the coronavirus, that you know we've ruled that out, um, you know, and they have don't have any additional symptoms that would would lead you to believe that it is, you know, later down the road, it's you know it 
it's difficult to, to, to kind of uh, to wade through that process of not discriminating, you know, against somebody at that time. So I thought, you know, I think what Charlie said is, is very, it's a great point. I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is. And that's kind of why I asked the question, uh, because I believe everybody out there is kind of in the same boat and, and asking that same question of themselves um, and their, their companies and their policies. And I think, you know, if nothing else, uh, we need to take a look at the policies that we do have. If you don't have a policy, you definitely want to make sure that you have one and put it in place. But I, I think we run a risk, you know, both ways. Um, I think we run a risk if we're not diligent enough. Um, you know, at some point, there almost has to be something maybe written into that policy that, you know, if uh, you go to the doctor and either receive testing or the doctor says, nope, you don't need testing, you don't have the proper symptoms, um, at some point, if that person continues to, to show those symptoms. Um, and, and maybe for instance, uh, maybe it's temperature. Um, a lot of job sites are testing temperature and saying if it's 100.4 or higher, you go home. And uh, at what point, if an individual comes back with a doctor's note saying, well, I do have a, you know, 101 temperature, but it's due to uh, you know, I don't know, it's, it's due to a, 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 an infected toenail and that infection is causing my temperature to go up. Um, do you let that person come back to work? Um, they have a doctor's note that says why they have a temperature and how long do you allow that to go on for before they need to go see a doctor again? Um, because we also open ourselves up a little bit that if we, you know, at some point a month later, if that person comes back and we're still under these same regulations and we're testing temperatures and they're at 100.4 again, um, you know, is, is it the toenail or is it not? And we're not doctors. That's the, the thing that I think is so interesting about this. Um, we're not doctors, but in some cases we're kind of being forced into this medical world of, you know, needing to make some of those decisions. I don't know that we need to come up with an answer. Um, I think it's something that everybody needs to contemplate and make sure that they have added into their, you know, into their uh, policy. Um, Jason, uh, you know, I don't know if you have anything to add on that, but you know, really the question is if, uh, if somebody uh, is sent home and uh, they come back either with a negative COVID-19 test or you know, a doctor's note saying that they don't need to be tested and uh, they go back to work, but they're still showing symptoms, do we at some point send them to be retested or send them back to the doctor? Um, or do we just let them work and, and continue on and, and see what happens? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, thankfully I haven't dealt with that scenario yet because that's one of those really tricky situations you know you're darned if you do you're darned if you don't um like josh said you know people have have been coming to work forever um not at a hundred percent and you know sometimes you really admire people pushing through um you know whatever they're dealing with whether it's a, a sickness or you know a, a muscle strain um you know and, and sometimes people that you know, do take off because of what, you know, maybe we think is minor, you know, that person's kind of 
um, you know, looked down upon by some group of people. Um, so, but in, in this time, and, and I've told people this many times is, you know, we, we really have to be sensitive to the situation that's going on and to our coworkers um, because people are scared and, um, you know, understandably so. So, you know, we, we've changed the way we've done some of the things of getting doctor's notes and asking for a test, a negative test to come back. But, you know, specific to your question, I haven't dealt with that. And, but that is a very, very good question. Um, you know, and we're talking about policies that have been written. I think that's something else that's going to stick around. Uh, I know that goes back to a question a couple questions ago, but I think that's one of the things that's going to stick around too is not necessarily a, a COVID-19 policy, but, you know, a, a pandemic or, um, you know, maybe it's more of an HR thing of when people are sick, where do you draw the line of, of when you can come to work and, and when you can't because, you know, we're not going to forget about this. That's for sure. Yeah, I think illness in the <clears throat> you know, we can't forget that we're coming out of one of the worst flu seasons. You know that we we've had parent. You know the the flu shot didn't necessarily catch it all, and you know so there's going to be some flu that hangs around here. You know over the next couple of months, it's going to be tied to it. So exactly what Jason said, and going back to one of our you know prior talking points is what's going to stick around. I think you know workplace illnesses, you know, and how they're de defined inside of your policy might not change. You know, they might raise it from 100.4 to 102, you know, but people may continue to take temperatures, and when you exceed that, you know, that's that's outside of our policy. You know, so I think there's going to be some changes, you know, that we'll see as far as policies and workplace relative to illnesses in a more broad term, um, maybe not specific to coronavirus, because you know next year could be a different named you know, pandemic, you know, that occurs, but just a general, a broad sense of, of how do we handle illnesses on the job site, you know, and, and as the viruses come along and, you know, affect that, that we at least have a program, a policy in place to start with, and then we can amend that, you know, specific to maybe what this new uh, virus might be bringing to us. So, yeah, great point. That's a good point, Josh, and, and what I'm curious to see is, you know, right now, at least, uh, we have had one site that is taking your temperature, um, the inner ear, uh, with the little disposable cups on the end of the thermometer. But most places are just the infrared thermometers. Uh, Friday, I understand it's supposed to be like 80 degrees. Um, you know, I don't know if we're working outside and you get hot and sweaty, is that going to affect, you know, how those infrared thermometers are working and, and vice versa. Uh, next February when it's, you know, 15 degrees out and the wind's blowing is, is somebody's temperature going to read 95 because they're cold because they've been working outside. So, you know, but, you know, at what point, you know, uh, we can't take temperatures, you know, stick your tongue out and, you know, keep this in your mouth or, you know, under the arm or, you know, so I, I don't know, you know, how we'll, I guess we'll just, have to deal with that when it comes. But uh, I definitely see, I agree with you that that is going to be something that sticks around. And especially in like manufacturing facilities and, you know, a very controlled environment, I definitely see that sticking around. So, you know, to, to kind of wrap things up and to put that into context, I, I was just uh, doing a little research as, as we were talking here. And, uh, you know, to go back in history to 1918, 
Um, there was a uh, H1N1 influenza virus that came through that was considered to be uh, a pandemic. It was the Spanish flu. Um, it infected over 500 million people, uh, which is about a third of the world's population. Uh, the death toll was estimated to be somewhere, which I find this interesting, between 17 to 50 million. Yeah, I said between 17 and 50. That's a pretty big difference. Um, but it sounds like they had as much trouble tracking things in 1918 as we do today. Um, but what I find kind of interesting is if you think about 1918 as in comparison to 2020, I would say that we are in closer proximity to each other in larger numbers than we were in 1918. In 1918, we still had a very rural area. We didn't have as high of a population. We didn't have um, information technology centers where people worked. Um, so all of the things we are doing probably may stick with us, as, as uh, several of you have said, because of, of how we work today in comparison to how we worked in 1918, or if you go back to the Black Plague in you know, whatever year that was. Um, so it, it's, it's fascinating. Um, we have not seen the numbers yet that we saw with the uh, Spanish flu in 1918, um, but we also didn't have the technology. We didn't have social tracing. Um, we didn't have uh, uh, social media to keep us going, to keep us uh, uh, in tune with everything that was happening. So we have a lot of new things at our fingertips that we didn't have in 1918. So we, quite frankly, we have a lot of things in our fingertips that we didn't have in uh, 2009 when the swine flu came through. Uh, so hopefully all of those things help to keep us safe and to keep us working. Um, as I told uh, Kathy and Emily this morning, we had a staff meeting and uh, a couple of questions came up and I said, we are operating under the assumption that we will never meet in person again. And the reason that I say that is because I don't wanna be operating under a premise of false hope that someday we're going to have an event or someday we're going to, we're, you know, we're going to do this. We're just gonna wait until that time comes. I'm encouraging everybody to kind of think along those lines and that was kind of why I asked some of the questions that I did today. Um, you know, I think we all need to be operating under the assumption that we are going to um, operate like this forever, uh, good, bad, or in between. When things start to relax and we get to do some old normal things, great. Um, but if we don't, we're well prepared to do these things. But we've probably never been more prepared as a society to go through something like this. The financial side, that's a completely different uh, subject, and we could talk about that for probably another six hours. But just from going to work every day and taking care of everybody, I think we're better suited today and better prepared than we probably ever have been in history, um, which is a great thing. Um, any closing comments? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's one thing um, that I've, I've seen and, and you know, like Josh said before, is is he's a people person and, and likes meeting in person, and and I'm that way too. And um, I really have seen a lot of people. You know, safety is, is a small world. You know, it, it's construction's a big world, but it's a small world too. And um, you know, I've seen because this is new for all of us, and I've just seen the communication 
between safety professionals and, and people just at a whole different level. And uh, I, I think that's really good. I, I hate that you know, we can't do this meeting in person, um, but I'm glad that we can still meet, share ideas, you know, and there are emails going back and forth through the week is, you know, hey, I got this good information, thought you might be able to use it. Um, and that's just, uh, I love it. I love seeing that. We are such a unique, diverse group that, you know, it's just invaluable, the amount of resources that are, you know, in, in our organization. And, and I've really seen people sharing and, and, and I just think it's a great thing. I don't think you can have enough communication. I mean, like Jason's saying, between our, so many things are changing, even outside of just updates to coronavirus, in terms of safety and job site safety. I mean, there's so many things change on a weekly basis. Like, I think we've talked so many times about creating a new norm. And when we come out of this, there's going to be so many new norms. And I just want to talk, you know, the, the contract part of it, you know, we've mentioned a couple of different times, but I think it's going to be really key, you know, as we're sitting here talking about temperatures and taking temperatures and, you know, we hear all these talks of vaccines, you know, that aren't available yet that could be coming. You know, it's very possible you see contracts that say you can't have employees on the job site that haven't been vaccinated. Um, so, you know, I think more importantly than ever right now, as we start to see over the next couple of months and years, you know, new contracts, owners aren't going to want to sit on job sites for, you know, four and six and eight weeks with no activity anymore. So the contract is going to be written that that activity continues. Um, and, you know, the, the contractors, unfortunately, are going to be the ones that need to make sure we're reading these contracts really good to make sure it doesn't say, you know, if your guy has a temperature of 102, we're going to test every morning. And unfortunately, he's not going to be allowed on the job. You know, so I think there's a lot of, as we talk about new norms, you know, the awareness that we have to different parts of the, the safety culture you know, not just contracts, you know, but, you know, the more we talk each week, um, and I mean, this has created a new norm, you know, for, for ABC that continues, you know, that we continue to, to keep people updated and what's changing week to week, you know, inside of this organization, but, you know, just safety as a whole, you know, I think this is, this is really a, a good thing. Um, we certainly endured a lot of bad, um, uh, but I do believe that there's going to be a lot of good that comes out of this as well. Awesome. And I thank everybody uh, uh, for, for participating this morning. I also encourage everybody uh, to join us on Thursday. Um, check our website. Uh, you can sign up. Our members can sign up for the uh, world-renowned Anabon Basu um, and taking a deep dive into the recovery uh, of the Maryland, D.C., uh, Virginia region. Um, that's something definitely worthwhile for everybody to, uh, to take advantage of. And, uh, you know, as we 